Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Chris Sununu was just re-elected governor of New Hampshire. And now he's thinking about running for president. Come for Sununu's trolling of Joe Biden. Stay for his trolling of Ron DeSantis. I'm Ryan Lizza. This is Playbook Deep Dive. I have a confession. I don't really like interviewing politicians. Now, that might sound strange for someone who works at Politico and does this for a living. But let's be honest, most interviews with politicians are boring or predictable or both. If you ever watch cable news, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you run for office, you're trained to treat every interview not as a real conversation between two humans, but as an opportunity to deliver a message. As you can imagine, this gets frustrating to journalists. So they often respond by approaching interviews with the goal of knocking the politician off message. This in turn annoys the politicians who complain that reporters don't really want to have substantive conversations and that they're just looking for gotcha moments. And so each side digs in a little more and the cycle repeats. So when I flew up to New Hampshire the other day to interview Governor Sununu, I admit that I wasn't really looking forward to it. He just won his fourth two-year term, but he obviously has his eye on the GOP presidential nomination. Sununu made national headlines last year when, at a press dinner in Washington, he joked that Donald Trump was, quote, fucking crazy. Last month, after Republicans had a disappointing midterm, Sununu showed up at a Republican-Jewish coalition event in Las Vegas that attracted a number of potential 2024 presidential contenders, and he had this to say. Let's stop supporting crazy, unelectable candidates in our primaries and start getting behind winners that can close the deal in November. He's someone you're going to be hearing a lot about. So why was I filled with dread as I climbed the stairs of the New Hampshire State House in Concord to meet him? Well, it's early in the 2024 cycle, and at this point, potential presidential candidates can be the most frustrating politicians to interview. They are running, but they can't say they're running, and every public comment is calibrated to achieve some strategy. So I decided what's the point of getting into any of that if he can't or won't talk about it? Besides, there was plenty of other fertile ground. In New Hampshire, the Sununus are like the Kennedys, or at least a local Republican version. Chris's dad, John H. Sununu, was governor of New Hampshire in the 80s. He helped George H.W. Bush win the New Hampshire primary in 1988, and then he became Bush's White House chief of staff. After serving as governor, he famously regarded himself more as chief than staff, and Chris watched his father's rocky White House tenure play out on the front page of the Washington Post as a high school student in Northern Virginia. Chris's brother, John E. Sununu, was a member of the House and then a senator from New Hampshire until 2009. When Chris was sworn in as governor in 2017, the Boston Globe declared, New England's most combative political family is back. So I started by talking to Sununu about what it was like to grow up in the family business. And we did. 
But after a while, I could tell that he was waiting for those presidential campaign questions that I thought wouldn't yield much. And then there was a moment in the interview when a light switched on. So we have this executive council. There are five. They're, they represent a fifth of the state. They're uh, bipartisan. That, you know, they're Republican and Democrat, but you never know what you're going to get. And for any contract in the state, yeah. I need three votes. For any contract. So that's, and, and for any appointment, whether it's the Board of Dietitians or the Supreme Court Justice, I need three votes. Like any contract? Like, any. Like, uh, Landscaping. If it's over $10,000, they got it. it. Yeah. And the, the, what they do is, in this meeting, we had one today. It's every other week, open and public. The entire public can come here. Every commissioner in the state is here. The attorney general is here. The governor, the counselors. The enti- basically, all of the oversight of the executive branch is here. And then on any of these contracts, which the public sees, the counselors can ask questions. Was this bid out? Did you take the lowest bid? Why did you use a company outside of New Hampshire? What other options do we have? And so this process, which was established in 1680 by King George I, hmm. Uh, it's one of the, really one of the oldest political bodies in the country. Most governors got rid of theirs. Like the king put it in to say, um, we don't want any president of the colony. They were called presidents of the colonies back then to have any t- too much power. So we'll give you five of these counselors to, to check and balance. Um, I'd say for better or for worse, but it's really for worse. Most governors have gotten rid of theirs over the past couple hundred years. Have you ever tried? Uh, no. Has any governor ever tried? Uh, not like that I know of. can't touch? No, we empower like... ours. We did the opposite. It's like that live free or die thing. Okay, so we made ours yeah. more powerful, have more oversight on contracts and the 10-year highway plan and all this kind of great stuff that we do, and bring the public into the process and all of that. Um, I have some. I was an executive counselor uh, before yeah, I was governor. I, I was going to say, okay, yeah. I and so that's I, how you, that's where you started. The uniqueness and the beauty of our process, and frankly, why we're just frankly better, if I may, <laughs> than everybody else in America, uh, in terms of our process, is is really defined best here. We were once doing a quick story. Uh, I don't tell any quick story, but I'll do my best. We were once sitting around this table. There's six of us. It was at the time Governor Hassan, now Senator Hassan. She was governor, and I was one of the counselors. And she and I are facing each other. I always sat in the chair that faced her around yeah. this table because I was District 3. And we're debating Planned Parenthood contracts. And through this process, um, you had 100-plus people on both sides. The room, this room was so full of people, they're literally standing shoulder to shoulder with all of us. There's no. This is where the public comes. Yeah, there's watch. no yeah. rope here. Yeah. Yeah. So you had the public all around the table, and we're and this thing is a heated debate, right? And I'm looking across the table, and I in the moment got me. It, it so transcended the very contentious issue of the day, and the, I'm looking at Governor Hassan at the time. She has one person on her left of her wearing all pink, the Planned Parenthood pink, and the other person on the right with a yellow scarf for pro-life. And the, the room was so crowded; they're literally standing shoulder to shoulder with the governor as we debate this issue and take a vote. It wasn't chaos. One side was happy with the vote. One side was disappointed. There weren't up. battles. There weren't fights. It wasn't, you know, everyone treated the, the process with the integrity that it deserves. On the most contentious issue. On the is. most contentious issue. And I thought in that moment, holy crap, this is why New Hampshire is so great. You, where else can you stand shoulder to shoulder with a governor anywhere and do it on a contentious issue knowing that your voice is heard. Your voice has value in that process. The public doesn't speak to it. Only the counselors and the commissioners can really speak. But clearly their voice is there, right? Yeah. It's just, uh, it was super now, cool. So was not, super- you, you're pro-choice, but on, you were against the funding for Planned Parenthood. Was that the issue with the side of what you were uh, on? Was, well, personally, 
Yeah. No, or, no. So there was a funky time when um, they were under a, a, an investigation nationally. Oh, that's that's the, the one was. time that I we didn't support it. But on that, I've always supported those contracts got it, got it. because they're not because about that, abortion. Yeah, those yeah, are not yeah. contracts for abortion. We do not have taxpayer funding of abortion. Those were for the the women's health care portion of it, where a lot of low income women and kids get their health care services or get their mammograms or just get their basic needs met, right? Yeah. And especially in our rural communities, this was the only group that would provide those services. So I've always supported that because it's not about the abortion thing. This, yeah. And I know it gets yeah. convoluted, and I totally get the argument that you can fund mon, money can be fungible and all that. And that's all has validity. Yeah. But, you know, my position is, and I think most people would agree, we're not shutting down health care centers for women and kids because— because in many parts of our state, they're the only ones that can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And in parts of the state where we have options, we have other groups, groups that do it. But that was, a, it was just an amazing part of our process. You, you're just not going to find that. Most of the time, that entire conversation happens behind closed doors with the governor and the commissioner of health and human services, and they sign or don't sign a contract. How it was bid out, what inputs they looked at, what variables looked at. It's all behind closed doors in 49 other states, but not here. It's super cool. Do you think that that process, you know, people always say that once uh, C-SPAN cameras came into the house, it created much more theatricality and everyone was just getting up to um, uh, uh, make, make speeches that were for, you know, folks back home. Did it, does it add that element to, to Not to the really. There's a little bit of that, I yeah. suppose. But if it's not behind closed doors? Because sometimes yeah, being behind yeah. closed doors is where you have space to actually negotiate out of the public eye sometimes you'll to have take some, the anti-transparency yeah. point of view sure <laughs> no no look i think sometimes some counselors that might be passionate on any one issue or contract or whatever it is will use this opportunity as and platform to make their statement heard yeah. but we're not dictating policy in this body um the council doesn't do policy they approve contracts right. process and there's a reason why we have no fine uh, this is a technical term now it's called financial shenanigans <laughs> we don't have that here it's because so, it's, tr- very it's so transparent and if a commissioner isn't putting something out to bid if something's sole source yeah. you better have a damn good excuse of so, why that's going to be so it protects you in a sense too of course you have no you, there's yeah. no there's no and look, temptation I'm, I'm a fiscal hawk right i'm a manager i want it to be open and transparent i want this provides ensures we get the lowest price you know what we debated today broadband Federal government is giving states hundreds of millions of dollars, sometimes billions in terms of broadband. This is the infrastructure bill? This is the infrastructure bill and yeah. part of ARPA. So there's two big chunks of money, about $150 million in each for New Hampshire. We're the first state to, to get that money on the ground. First state in the country. Really? We're also the huh. cheapest because our process why, why is so open. Why are you guys first? Because we're just really fast and I'm and, and oh, I work. Getting yeah, it. I'm just getting it out fast. The rest of the states are stuck in bureaucracy. What are we going to do with the money? How are we going to set it up? Blah, 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 blah. We're just super transparent. Super efficient. I manage. Is this Pete Buttigieg just trying to help out New Hampshire? No. Uh, no. Pete Buttigieg, last time he came here, he was promoting a <laughs> sidewalk melting system in Berlin, New Hampshire. The biggest waste of $20 million you've ever seen out of the federal government. It was embarrassing. But anyway, <laughs> so right. part of it is him. But the, the point is this. We're going to put it out for like, we're putting it out, this contract out. It's going to cost less than $2,500 per household. Other states, it'll cost nine, ten thousand. 10000 so we're going to get four to five times the biggest bang for our buck to put fiber in for our citizens than any other state. Why? We're fast and efficient, and we have an open, transparent process. That price has to be low, or this council isn't going to accept the contract. It's right. super cool. All right. Now we're going to go way back. We're going to, this is where I, I want to start, but I found, find all that very interesting. Yeah. You, you, I find um, your family is so fascinating. You grew up in this big big i have i have five siblings you have seven yeah you grew up in this big political family tell me a little bit about you know growing up 
um, I'm especially interested in what, what your time in Washington was like when your, your mm. dad had left the governorship of New Hampshire, taken the most important, one of the most important jobs in, in Washington as chief of staff. Mm. You're going to high school in Virginia. Just, just give us a little bit about yeah. what that was like growing up and what you learned from watching politics yeah. so close up. So look, I, I mean, I grew up in a family where you had to give back and that's what it was. It was a yeah. big family and my parents were very passionate. They said, you have to donate your time somehow. Be a teacher, work at a nonprofit, donate your time at the food bank, run for office, something. Help your community. Find a path to do that. And my dad was on the planning board. My mom was the first politician in the family so on the school board. The planning board. So before he was governor. Yeah, Salem, New Hampshire right. planning board. Right. So how Look, old were you when he? How old were you when he? I became was like governor? four or five. Uh, when he became governor, I was eight. I was in the eight. second Got grade. It. Okay. So my mom was on the school board. Why? Because she had eight kids, right? And she wanted to make sure her voice was heard. Where are you again? I'm number seven of eight. You're seven. Yeah, I have six older brothers. I'm and sisters. five of six. So I can mm. relate. We're, the, we're right there. Yeah. Do, you, do your parents the, even remember your name? Because mine don't. My, my <laughs> I'm a governor, name, and I'm lucky. If my my name growing up was uh, Carl John Frank Ryan, because she would go through the whole list exactly, before she right? got to me. Exactly, right? <laughs> and when she would do like, Michael, James, jo- uh, Christina. No, Dad, Mom, yeah. it's Chris. Oh, yeah, right. Number seven. Just go take the trash out. That's the way it was, and that was fine. But we grew up in a, a, a tight-knit family, and we always gave back. My dad later becomes governor. He ran for a bunch of offices and lost and all yeah. that, and I think he was a state rep for a little while. Then he, he, he eventually becomes governor, and, uh, and he always said, look, this is not my career. I'm a teacher. He was, a, he was an engineer and a professor uh, at, at Tufts, and he said, this isn't my career. It's just how I'm giving back. Now, we later go to D.C., as you pointed out. All my brothers and sisters went to Salem High in New Hampshire and were Blue Devils and the whole thing, and literally— a couple months before I'm about to become a, a blue devil and going into high school in the eighth grade, my parents say, sorry, we got to go to Washington. Needless to say, I was just short of fear, beyond furious. I mean, it was yeah. just, what do you mean? This is my town. These are my friends. This is like, we're a small town and, and I love it. And um, so it was hard. Yeah. D.C. is a very tough place. Back then, it was only a fraction of the size of, as it is today. I lived in Oakton, just outside of uh, Vienna. Yeah, and at and, the time, it, yeah. it kind of got out to me, and then there was a, a little bit of, it kind of went to Reston, and there was like five or six miles of, of fields before you got to Dulles Airport. Yeah, so now, it's more exurban now, but it was, it was kind the of... The suburbs go beyond Manassas now. It's, yeah. it's crazy, right? Yeah, and the metro goes all the yeah. way out there, too, but it was almost rural, like not far from where you That's were right. then. That's yeah. right. And I was a TJ kid. I went to Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, which is a pretty uh, prominent, nerdy school, right? It yeah. was great. Um, I was an engineer-type math guy, and, and so... That in itself was a great opportunity, but it also meant everyone read the Washington Post. So anytime anything came And your came dad out, was not a, like, uh, you know... He, he was on the front page quite a bit. <laughs> he was a big personality with a big job and very often on the front page in a very politically driven school with very smart kids that yeah. wanted to debate these issues, right, and all that. So that in itself made it very challenging. Yeah. I didn't love it. I mean, I don't know a better way to say it. It was Northern Virginia. It wasn't New Hampshire. Uh, it was something I never asked for. It was a great, very amazing experience in a lot of ways. I got to meet some amazing people. I think George Herbert Walker Bush was the greatest president in the world. I think he was just such a statesman and a gentleman. And uh, he, he exemplifies everything we need more of in this country uh, right now, frankly. So in that sense, to be able to be part of that was an amazing experience. But you, when I walked away, it was very clear. I said, I'm not ever doing this. Running for office, being part of this is crazy. Because yeah. uh, I had been the family that had gone through it. And, and, and there wasn't even social media yet, right? Yeah. So Yeah, imagine what that experience would have been like yeah. today. So then uh, we, my four years coincided with the four years of the Bush administration. Uh, my family leaves like literally the day after I graduate. They move back to the house in, in Salem. I go off to MIT to be an engineer, and the rest is history. Did you, 
it sounds like you were not uh, engaged with um, what it's like to work at the White House. You were doing. You, did you? Well, learn, yeah. I mean, did so you look learn back. So back then, experience? if you go to the White House now, yeah. I mean, you have fences, fences, and then fences yeah. and fences. I had this 1979 Ford Fairmont, the biggest rust bucket. You had to leave the windows open because the whole thing smelled of gasoline and, and freon from the air conditioning. And I could drive right up to the to the west to the west wing. And if on I the Pennsylvania to my, side or the back side, or the uh, um, so if I'm so in those days, Pennsylvania Avenue was open, of course. Yeah, I wouldn't drive up on the Pennsylvania side. I'd, I'd drive up if the, I'm looking like West Executive. If I'm Avenue. looking north, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looking at the south side, I'd come in on the left, right, on the west right. side. Does yeah, that yeah. make sense? On yeah. the southwest yeah. that gate, but with, you could drive right up to the gate with back just then. an ID, kind of like hey. Well, yeah, after like a couple yeah. of visits, like, hey, Chris, yeah. you know, I got to know all the exactly. Secret Service. Yeah, they were super nice. Yeah. And they'd let me in if I had to go to my dad's office for something after school or whatever it was, because I was going to school and uh, TJ was over in Alexandria. So, yeah, no, we, there was a, it was much easier to access. And so I, you know, it was an honor to get to, I mean, you go into the White House, n- never mind as a teenager, even my dad would tell you, you're, it's never not impressive. It's it's such wow! This is amazing. What an amazing opportunity. So, I never got tired of the amazingness of the situation. I'm walking into the White House. This is an incredible thing. Now, it wasn't for me per se, and I thought my dad was doing a great job. But, um, you know, it, it never wears off. You never get used to it. Yeah. And and uh, I always appreciated all the opportunities I had to go there. And George Bush was a former president. George H. W. Bush was just this an amazingly normal guy. We both played baseball. Right. You know, he pitched. I, I pitched a little bit. I was more first base. And so he would talk baseball or, or things like that with me. He, he knew I was a teenager, kind of pulled out of my uh, comfort zone. Uh, the Quails were down there, too. Right. Dan Quayle was vice president. Yeah, and yeah. Tucker, Ben and Corinne uh, were all kind of around my age and my little brother's age. So we got to know them very well. Um, they were kind of pulled out of their world a little bit out of Indiana now being the kids of a vice president. And so we kind of shared your parents are kind of like going through the room yeah. of, of press I, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a lot of challenges. And so I think we had, we, I would never compare myself to them. Obviously, our fathers had very different positions, chief of staff and vice president, but they worked hand in glove in, in everything. And so our families, you know, got very close. A lot of people and, would uh, say your dad was a little more powerful than you, but I don't, I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, I, I look, I suppose uh, chief of staffs are. I mean, and, at times, right? They, they definitely are with the president and, and have probably have the president's ear and, and advise him on, on things that the vice president doesn't, right? There, there's just different uh, checks and balances and boundaries there. So, um, so it was, they were the one family where I could say, oh, you know, they're kind of going through something like us, like we are. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's awkward. But for the most part, we were fish out of water. It, we're yeah. from New Hampshire. That was a, a tough place um, with tough dynamics. And, uh, you know, as soon as it was over, I was like, bye. <laughs> Did you ever go through a period where um, you thought there's no chance I'll ever, uh, I'll ever run for office of and, course. and changed your mind? Yeah. So what, yeah, what so got you? What, got, what was the, it's so easy. It's what, actually. What made you decide to, to, to jump into the. I was the running my own business. Yeah. Uh, I had been an engineer, an environmental engineer for yeah. many, many years. Then I ran, I was running a ski resort. I put yeah. an investment group together and we bought and ran a ski resort. So I was running my own business just at about the same time my kids started to go to school. We've got awesome schools in New Hampshire. I mean, really great because local control is so important. The state doesn't have a whole lot of say or shouldn't have a whole lot of say. We let local control and parents drive the process. I, I, I joke with Glenn Youngkin because he's got it right. Parents matter. So important. I said, Glenn, I, I love that you are bringing that back to Virginia. That's where we've been for 200 years, right? It really <laughs> is in New Hampshire. We've, we've been there forever. But the rest of the country is waking up to that. I think it's, it's awesome. But being that, as a parent, I just didn't think our schools were the same schools I had grown up in. And I'm running a business in the live free or die state. We followed every rule to a T 
religiously, and it was really hard. And I thought, if it's hard for us, what is it doing to a little business? This is, again, not the New Hampshire I, I grew up in. In terms of running the ski resort and the, the regulations you were dealing with? Yeah. And the school, and, yeah. yeah, it was regulations. It yeah. was the environmental permitting or the load, you know, whatever yeah. it was, which was fine. You have to go through that. But the process was so rigorous and cumbersome and expensive. And I thought, we're becoming like northern Massachusetts. I mean, I really thought that. And I said, I never wanted to run for office. But you know what? When your kids are on the line and, the, and you, get, you, you go through that transformation as a parent and you realize, maybe I can do something. That's what, that's what changed. It was my kids and my business. By that point, your brother has won and lost. Won and lost. Yeah, that was he's around 2010, no, 2011. So he's no longer a, a senator. Um, uh, John E. E. Sinu, John excuse e, me. As opposed to John Dad H. Is John dad, H. Yeah. Um, did you, what was your, did you do anything on, on his campaigns? Was it, no. Were you a big player? No, no, not really. I mean, I, in 2002, when he first beat Gene Shaheen to be a U.S. senator, I was yeah. living in San Francisco. I was an environmental engineer in California. My wife and I just wanted to live somewhere else, you know, before we had kids. And we, we thought California sounds cool. And it was great. We were there for like three years. Great experience. You have to close your eyes politically to everything. But even now, I mean, it's just so different now. 20 years later, San Francisco is disgusting. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a tragedy. It's an American tragedy. Where were you there? I was there 2000 to 2003. Okay. Yeah. We were there during the dot-com boom and bust, yeah. but neither of us were dot-comers. She was a school teacher, and I was an, an engineer. Yeah. But we just loved it, and we, you know, all of our money went to rent and food, and that's, that's all you could afford. But it was an amazing experience. I, was so then, I yeah. left in 98. Oh, you did? Everyone, Where did you live? I, lived, I went to Cal, so, so UC Berkeley. Yep. And every, so, everyone, so did you live on that side of the bay? I lived in the East Bay, yeah. yeah oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I lived, lived in, in the hills, I, I was in the... Yeah. I was in the marina of all places, yeah. living in a guy's oh, basement. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we lived in a guy's basement because he basically took us in in an apartment because you couldn't find an apartment back then, right? Yeah. So we lived in this kind of shady little one one studio basement, if you will. And then the bust happens, and all of a sudden there's a lot of apartments available in the city, and we moved oh, to yeah. Russian good Hill time. for, for oh, half good. the rent, yeah. twice the space for half the rent, and uh, we did Russian Hill for a couple of years. Oh, but it was great. But um, but so I wasn't here in 2002. Come back in 2008. He does his thing politically. I'm not really. I'm busy with my own raising my family and, and all that sort of thing we had two kids at the time I had like a two-year-old and a four-year-old so uh my hands were full to say the least did you ever uh did he ever, was he ever mad at you that you didn't uh run against um Gene Shaheen for senate to avenge his loss <laughs> no. <laughs> no look we we don't roll I can see other people but the Sanus don't really roll that way it's got look he was a great I, senator. I my brother. I would, yeah. I would have wanted you to run and, and beat her. No, yeah. Look, my brother was a great senator. I think he's, he's super, super smart. Yeah, I think he was known as like the smartest guy in the Senate or something for a while, which to his joke is it's like being the best surfer in Kansas, right? You know, the smartest <laughs> guy in the Senate. But um, no, he was great, but a different skill set than I have. I'm more of an engineer, executive, manager, buck stops here, does, redesign systems. Congress and Senate, they don't do that. They're about policy and you know, trying to find, you know, where the policy can, can move forward and all that. I, I think I've gained that skill, but my real love and passion is what I do today as a CEO. Yeah. So same thinking. One thing I've, I haven't heard you reflect on, what was the difference between passing on that race? I mean, you were newer to the office. I, you know, I think a lot of people understood you not jumping in that one. People were really mad at you last year. So you're talking about like when, Shaheen in 16, like when I was governor exactly. and they wanted me to run. Yeah. Uh, versus Hassan this time. Yeah, like what yeah. was the difference in terms of? Oh, that was Hassan in sixteen. Shaheen would have been fourteen no, well, and twenty. 
Right. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Right. So they so probably wanted me to run against Shaheen in, in 20, twenty. Excuse me. Yep. 20, as I'm governor get, yeah, in twenty. Yep. Twenty versus 20, 22. 22 again, and then they yeah. wanted me really wanted me badly for Hassan in twenty two. Right. Yeah. So those two. So I think most yeah. people um, understood why you didn't jump into the the, the, yeah. the first one. The second one, people were really mad because they thought you came really close, and and I did as come we've close. seen with the results. Oh, I did. Uh, some of these candidates weren't so great. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. What was. What was your, was it a similar set of issues? Well, your first, I mean, the, the issues were this. I, I've been very disappointed in Washington, and I don't hide that on a variety of levels. Uh, Republicans, and, and look, I looked at the Republicans, right, when they had the majority in 17 and 18. Yeah. Remember? And we had the presidency, too. Yeah. Did they do health care reform? No. Did they do immigration reform? No. I would challenge you to say if they had done something on immigration reform, even just a step, yeah. we wouldn't be in the situation we are today. Democrats have really screwed it up. But boy... We had the, we had the ability to, to close the deal. We could have done uh, we could have actually balanced a budget. You know, last time I checked, we're Republicans and we believe in good fiscal responsibility. There's no greater responsibility than managing other people's money. I learned that in the private sector. I had shareholders that expected me to make the money because I ran the business. I had employees that made want, I had to make sure I paid their paychecks every day. Their families were counting on it. And that doesn't change because you because you become a public official. In fact, it gets exemplified. That's your money. That's this, the, I mean, people pay taxes. It's their hard-earned money. I better re- manage it responsibly. Congress does not have that same respons- sense of responsibility, and it drives me crazy. I, anyone who was in Congress and the Senate in 17 and 18, I think they, I, it's incredibly frustrating. It's one thing to say we were in the minority. There was nothing we could do. You were in the majority, and you blew it. it you tax blew cut. it. I mean, you supported the tax cut, though. Tax cut was great, yeah. but that's my point. We're talking about one or two bills that they passed, and we're saying, yay, great job. You got something done. Yeah. You're the U.S. frickin' Senate and Congress. You should be getting something done every day and trying to find bipartisanship every day. And I had U.S. senators, Republicans, tell me, well, Governor, we're going to get a lot done. We just need to get the majority. And I said, well, then why didn't you do it in 17 and 18? They had no answer. And then I said, well, talk to me about budgets, because i got to balance a budget. That's what I'm working on right now. I'm making tough decisions to balance a budget and you know, return our surpluses to, to, to cities and towns and schools. And we do it, and it's awesome. But it takes tough decisions. I said, explain to me why you don't even try to balance a budget. They said, well, we don't have 60 votes. I said, who cares? Put it to a vote. Make people stand up and say, I'm not voting for a balanced budget. Like, force the vote. That's what we do. And then that advances the conversation. But you had Republicans saying, it's really not that important. And I was insulted by that, frankly, that type of mentality. Um, And just the lack of of what they get done. And I just think America demands, deserves better. I believe in accountability in public service. Service, service. I mean, that's what we do is public service. It is not a career you shouldn't just be waiting to the next election to raise another $100 million to get elected again. That's not what this job is about. And so uh, that's a very easy, uh, simplified way of saying that's, that's one of the, some of the biggest stuff of why I didn't run. I, that yeah. didn't fit my skill set. They, it was one of them, one, I won't say who one U.S. senator said to me, hey, want to be great, Gov? You have to get elected. I'm the only governor in the country. I have to get elected every two years, yeah, right? Seems, it seems crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy for me. It's great for the state, right? It's about accountability. Do your job and you'll get rehired. If you don't, we're going to fire you almost right away. Yeah, but no term limits. No term limits, yeah. but it, it's, so it, it, it's there's the, self-imposed term limits because oh, if you, most people don't go past four. Nobody does. Since, since Lynch, nobody's Only one governor's ever done four terms. And so... I'm sorry. So when you say it's a self-imposed term limit, what do you mean? That like it's it's rude to go to run again if you No, because to be a congressman and run every two years, you get like 20 weeks of vacation. You don't I mean, frankly, they ain't working that hard. 
running every two years, that's basically the job. I'm a governor. I'm yeah. 24-7. My phone is on. You have a flood. You have a disaster. You have a problem with I corrections. So it's, just, it, it's a hard it's job. Too much. It's, it, and then you add running every two years. Got it. it, it it's just it, it's too much for folks. It really is. And this is New Hampshire. It would be not necessarily appropriate to go much beyond four or five terms. It really wouldn't yeah. because you want turnover. It's not a career. And I think both sides of the aisle, for the most part, get that and have, have held true to that. But it does, it's hard on you and the family to go through the election every two years when you have a real job and a very high demand, very high profile, high accountability job as being governor. Have you ruled in or out a, a fifth term? I, forgive me if this I is I haven't something. ruled anything in or out. Yeah, no. It's not something, yeah. No, and, and look, I haven't ruled out a fifth term. I haven't ruled out running for higher office. I haven't ruled anything out because yeah. I'm really – look, the election happened. You know where I was? I, I slept in a few hours on Wednesday, and yeah. by 10 a.m. I was here. I yeah. came to work. I was yeah. in the state house because I have to be, and I love that aspect of the job. So No days off. That's what Bill Belichick told me. <laughs> Patriots coach, no days off. You probably know the numbers, but probably, what, tens of thousands of New Hampshire voters voted for you – and Maggie Hassan mm-hmm. in an era when we're all told that, you know, parties are totally polarized. There's no more, you know, uh, split ticket voting. Yeah. It doesn't matter who either party throws up, you know, th- they'll support them. We learned this year that that's not true. Not in um, New Hampshire, at least. Not in New Hampshire. Not in a few other states, Not in a few too. other states, too, yeah. But, but you got to earn it. What's the, what, what do you think, is, do you think there's anything that you and the senator have in common that those voters saw? We live in the same neighborhood. <laughs> literally? We literally, yeah. I live in a town of 1,500 people. Yeah. And, uh, What's it called? Uh, Newfields. Okay. And she lives on the other end of my neighborhood, basically. Like two streets over. Yeah. So, um, look, uh, I think we both appreciate it's a purple state. And you have to, you really do have to earn it. Now, I would have loved to see her out of office. I don't think she's done her job very well. I think she's kind of ignored the state. Uh, but she had the benefit of running against a really extreme candidate, and the Democrats did a wonderful job defining him as extreme, out of touch, and all of that. And so, he, effectively, a lot of our federal candidates were running from a deficit, you know, and of a defensive position. That's a hard thing to win. So yeah. I think she got away with one a little bit there. Be that as it may, it is still a purple state. You've got to earn it face-to-face, eye-to-eye. That's why our First Nation primary is so good, yeah. uh, and it works so well. The Democrat Party and Joe Biden don't care about that, right, because they just care about personal favors. I mean, they're bringing the first, their first in, the nation, first in the nation primary to South Carolina, where the voter turnout stinks. It's dictated by party bosses. It's a joke. It's just personal. I mean, it, it's really a disservice to America by doing that. Are you disappointed in Senator, in, in both the senators, for they not blew it. preventing this? Yeah, they blew it. Yeah. So, you know. The, One of them didn't go to the White House the other day for a party. Shaheen didn't go to the party. Oh, thank you, Gene. You didn't, you didn't go to the White House. What, it was supposed to You're pat not you impressed on the back? By that. No, because, look, we have to stand up as party leaders in yeah. our state and defend the First Nation primary with the Republicans every time, and we do it. And it's not easy, but you make the arguments and you do it. They went to do it. They blew it. They absolutely blew it. Now they're trying to show, oh, I can't believe it. We're so outraged with Joe Biden. Yeah, because you didn't do the work up front. You really didn't. You didn't show the data. You didn't earn it. You didn't do it, do it the way Republicans do it, and the state is, is less support. Now, we're still going to have our first in the nation primary. Say, what do you think the Dem- – I mean, I don't know how much – this is sort of a bipartisan issue in, in New Hampshire, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. We, we, yeah. We're all lockstep on this one. So what should, what's, what, should the, what should they do? What should the Democratic Party in New Hampshire do to protect it now? Well, I think they've kind of blown it, right? Yeah. So what we will do as a state – is our law says we have to be a week before anybody else, and it will be. And the Democrats will hold a primary here. 
Now, what the Democrat Party nationally what's decides your, to do what's with the your role in enforcing that? Just curious. Anything specific? Yeah, work with the Secretary of State to yeah. make sure that it's enforced, to make sure that we're managing our schedule the right way. Got it. Um, but yeah, we're going to have ours. Now, here's the, the real interesting dynamic. If nobody ran against Joe Biden, that would be one thing. But two things. A, I don't even think Joe Biden's going to make it to the um, I don't think he's going to run. You don't, think he's gonna, you don't think he's going to run? For, he's going to say he's going to run, but I don't know if he really gets there. B, I don't think that the, the Democrat elite liberals of Washington are just going to sit back and just let him run again. I think someone's going to primary him or challenge him. Who do you think it might be? If you, if I think what, if I was Buttigieg, I'd do it. Yeah. You know, and what I would do is I'd come to New Hampshire because he did very well here and he would do very I, well here again. There's no doubt about it. Why would he miss that opportunity? Who cares about the delegates on his side? He should just come right. here, get the free press, be the guy and, and drive forward. And that would put him in a lead position to either pick up where Biden leaves off, because I don't know if he's going to. And the media will cover it. Of course the media will cover it. And New Hampshire he, will treat it as a serious he will be contest. Treated, he'll yeah. get superstar status on the Democrat yeah. Party side. He has to resign does. first, though, no? I don't, I, well, Biden is <laughs> the sitting president and candidate and picking where the election goes. I, they don't seem to have any rules on the Democrat I, side. It is just I, off of themselves. Ever, yeah, I'm saying he probably would have to resign from Biden's cabinet. I, I guess. Yeah. Have you, Look, I just, have you talked to him about this? Have you, uh, no. have you told him he's welcome up here? No. I, well, <laughs> I tell everyone they're welcome up here because it'd be crazy to skip it. And, and there's gonna be, they're going to have a tough decision to make. How do I skip New Hampshire when it's just sitting there for me, ready to go get? Look, the Democrat elite in Washington, they don't respect Joe Biden. The liberal elite have no respect for that man whatsoever. I, do, you know what I, they, do you know what Democrat liberals say behind, behind Joe Biden's back? What? The exact same thing they said to his face in the primary, that he was an old, out-of-touch white guy that did not represent the future of the party. You think they're just going to sit back and let that guy have another term? No way! Don't you think he's in a stronger position <laughs> now that he did a little bit better in the midterm than uh, he was expected to? He's in a stronger position, yeah. but they don't care. He's still not one of them. He doesn't represent the future of that party in their eyes. They're not going to just sit on their hands for another six years and hope he doesn't blow it in November of 24. No way, no how. They're going to let that happen. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. One question about the New Hampshire primary. I mean, one of, one of the traditional roles of, of governor is to be a sort of steward and protector of, of the process. Yes. If you run for president, wouldn't you kind of be um, reducing the relevancy of the New Hampshire like primary? president of my condo board? Like, what are you talking about? I don't no, know. <laughs> if you run for if you if you run for the Republican nomination in twenty twenty four, I guess maybe I suppose if we if we got to that point, and that's nothing I'm really planning right now. If we got to that point, you know that, that we that we'd figure out what that dynamic looks like. Wouldn't, but it I, be, wouldn't you be Wouldn't you be similarly like Joe Biden, um, reducing the relevancy of the New Hampshire primary? Oh no! Look, if there's anything, if if I if we got to that point, yeah. I'd have to earn it like anybody else. I mean, that, yeah, that, but you might have other Republicans who stay away and say, oh, that's, oh, that'd be, that's, that'd that's be a foolish. done deal, like Harkin in the Iowa. Are people going to stay away from South Carolina because Nikki Haley and Tim Scott run? Are they going to stay away from Florida because Trump, Rubio, Scott, and DeSantis all might run? You know, no, 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 no. You, you still got to go earn it state to state, regardless yeah. of, of who's in the race. Absolutely. What's, um, 
what's what's the process by which you'll use to to make that decision? Whether I, oh, you know, I've had a lot of people ask, and I've had a lot of people you know ask you know offer to you know raise money and all this kind of stuff like real money, like uh, unbelievable amounts of money, and that's all very flattering. Um, I think New Hampshire has an incredible model. I think this model has to be and should be shared throughout the country in terms of model. You mean our our, our model like, of local control, our model yeah. of empowering individuals, yeah. not just being about political stunts, but actually managing getting stuff done. Because when you do it, there's all this amazing opportunity that comes, and that's exactly what America is is itching for. I go back to Glenn Youngkin, the the concept of parents matter. People in Virginia said, "Oh my God, someone said parents matter." Up here, it's like, yeah, that's what we've been doing for 200 years. Where where 49 other states been? So I think people across this country are begging for this, what we do here every day, a manager that actually engages with folks one-on-one on individual issues, doesn't just say, well, my, my state's too big, I just kind of manage everything behind the office and I raise money and that's all we kind of do. No, governors are, are very different, especially governors from small states, and I think I can share that, and I want to. I want the next generation of Republicans to know that what they see today with the partisanship and the anger and all that kind of stuff— We want them to be excited about being on our team and what we offer and what we deliver. And it's more about Trump, not Trump or or, you know, some of the you know, we're not a party that is defined by Hunter Biden's laptop. Right. (laughs) Which I think should be investigated, of course. But that's not what that's not at our core, at our core. And this is why people say, does a Republican Party need to, you know, shift where they go? No, we just need to get back to basics. Low taxes, limited government, local control, individual responsibility. That is what Live Free or Die in New Hampshire is all about. It ain't four words on a license plate, although we like our cool license plates, our motto. It is at our essence what we are all about here, and America is begging for it. So it, I, I, I don't just deliver that if I were to run for president. I can help deliver that by traveling the country and sharing that opportunity and, and getting people excited about being part of something that is bigger than themselves. And too many, look, too many politicians think it's all about them right? They're all about the stunt. They're all about the headlines. They're all about themselves. There's no real sense of, of accountability and management and understanding that where we started, it's a public service. It ain't a public career. I don't want to spend too much time talking about Donald Trump. And I've, you know, I know your, your record and where, where you've stood on that. You have distinguished yourself from some of the other Northeast, not crazy about Trump governors, <laughs> Republican governors, by... That's a really good way to, to <laughs> classify them. Not but, crazy about Trump. But yeah. Hogan, you know, is in a different place. You know, Hogan, Phil, people. Charlie, all great guys, by the way. But boy, they they are they are really. I mean, they're anti-Trump at, at, at every turn. Yeah, and that's just their brand. That's what they're about. Has, that's fine. But it's not fine for them. But has any? So we have you know the, the, the latest Trump controversy. Two pretty big ones. <laughs> Since uh, the election, I think you're going to say since Monday. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, I don't, you, you know all the details. You know what I'm going to ask you. The dinner, and then the recent tweet or whatever they call it on Truth Social about um, you know setting aside some yeah. uh, pesky parts of the Constitution. <laughs> pesky to, parts uh, of the Constitution because of, uh, of of what Twitter did about the, yeah. the Hunter laptop. Um, what do what do you think? Does that change your mind about whether you could ever support him again if he becomes the nominee? Well, I would just say this: I, he's he would have a he's going to have a tough road yeah. uh, to be to to win in twenty four. Can he be the nominee? I'm, I'm, I'm sure he can be the nominee. With the, the Constitution, yeah, yeah. No, I don't thing. agree with any of it. Let's be clear: I don't I don't think anybody agrees with any of it. Yeah. I mean, really, even if 
even if you're a Trump supporter, you can't say you agree with the concept that we should get rid of pesky parts of the Constitution that at our core of re- as a Republican, that is so uh, to our antithesis of, of what we stand for. But be that as it may, a lot of folks are still going to support him and, and fine. My, my concern isn't about how far he gets in the primary and all that. He, he's got to run his own race and he might do very well. And that's God bless him. That, that's his race to run. But can you win in 24, in November of 24? Because that's all that matters. Those types of things are going to make, are make it much, much, much more challenging to convince anybody that he can actually win. He can, are there undecided Trump voters in this country? Let's, think, let's start there. Is there anyone in this country who is kind of on the fence whether they would vote for him again or not? Not really. He's such a known commodity, if you will. Yeah. That's kind of baked. And so the question to have to ask, I think the polls would be very accurate if you looked at could he win or not. I, I actually haven't looked at any polls. I don't know. But I'm guessing he's in a much tougher position than it was in 16. And he, you know, he got by in 16. And, you know, he won. That was great that he won. I supported him 16. I supported him in 20. And we wanted to get there. It's a whole different ballgame. And then you just add the fact that, look, as Americans, let's think about what we are as Americans. We want the next best thing. We want 2.0. We want the next uh, piece of technology. We want the next good idea. We want the next piece of leadership. You can't tell me it's in the American spirit to say, yeah, our best opportunity for tomorrow's leadership is the leadership of yesterday. That's not about, that's not who we are as Americans, right? So just that core DNA of who we are in this country, 330 million free Americans, our core DNA says, why are we going backwards? And so I just think the hurdles are really big, and he would have to cross over those. And that's his journey to figure out, but I, I just think it's, it's a, I think everyone would agree it's a much tougher argument to make this time around. In 19, after uh, George W. Bush's big reelection in 1998, when Republicans were like in Washington and really screwed things up, and everyone, your party was looking for a governor, um, and led, you know, to the 2000 uh, victory. Um, a lot of the fellow, a lot of Bush's fellow governors were pushing him to, to run, and mm. a lot of the governors who were frustrated with Washington, with Republicans in Washington, were looking for a, a governor mm. to sort of advance. It seems like maybe we're in a time where the governors are a little bit more in, in, individualistic. And uh, for instance. Do you see oh, yeah. both with yourself or with DeSantis or with Yunkin, any of your fellow Republican governors kind of forming? Yeah, I would know. So, yeah, I, I'll disagree you? with you a little bit. Okay. I don't think we're on the Republican side. But do you know what I'm talking about? Do you remember for the, the most part, I'm talking about? I know exactly like, what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. But I think for the most part, uh, we're, the, our Republican governors, we're, yeah. t- we're a team. We are, now, it doesn't mean we're all going to get behind one candidate. That's what I mean. Do you see but, that developing with any of you guys yet? Not yet. Not but, with DeSantis? No, no. Yeah. Not with Yunkin? No. no, 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 not with anybody. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, that, I'm not hitting on any of them other than to say no, yeah. de- definitely not. Yeah. Um, so I think governors want a governor. I think, frankly, all of America should want a governor. <laughs> and I mean that. Even on the Democrat side, you should want a governor. You should want an ex- A president is an executive, just like a governor is. 24-7, the buck stops here. It's not about policy and, and, and all that stuff. It's more about getting stuff done, redesigning systems, creating opportunities for the individual. That's what governors have to do every day if they're good at it. Some aren't. Some are better than others, of course. But at least as a governor... And, and hopefully you've only been a governor and not been polluted by, by Congress and stuff like that. But as a governor, you, you need to have that, that type of a sense of accountability. And even on the Democrat side, not that I'd vote for a Democrat, of course, but I think the Democrat Party would do themselves better 
to not have a Barack Obama or a Joe Biden, someone who's just well, policy and can get away with being in this gray area as opposed to understanding what the job is really about. And that's Biden why this is an executive is, now. Is What's that? Biden is an executive now. With zero experience. <laughs> and look, what, well, look what's happening. It's a disaster. I mean, really, he has no sense. He's not in control. He has no sense of what's going on around him and what the implication of his do policies you, are. This guy, let me, let me yeah. harp on something. Do you think it's an age thing with Biden? Oh, there's no doubt. That, that's part of it. But there's yeah. also, what do you look, mean there's no he's doubt? Jo- well, there's no doubt age is, is a factor in there, yeah. to be sure. But there's also no doubt that it, it's Joe Biden. This isn't a shock. This yeah. guy's been bumbling, making up things, plagiarizing things, doing anything he can to get people's attention with nothing behind it for literally decades. I mean, where's the great piece? Biden is in the Senate for how long? Uh, 40 years. Now. Okay. Yeah. How many great pieces of legislation should we expect from someone that has been in the Senate for 40 years? How many did we get? Nothing. Right. I mean, nothing. Yeah. There's, there's no there there. And so, you know, the one of the let me give you a, a real down home issue here in New Hampshire. You have a federal administration being driven by environmentalists out of California, effectively stopping lobster lobstering off the Gulf of Maine in New Hampshire. The same week they're having lobster at the White House. It's a triple insult at a state dinner. It is a triple insult of incompetence. So it's not even not just a bad decision. It's a lack of management. And it's it's a lack of awareness about what the heck is going on around you. Anyone with common sense would say, well, of course, we're not going to have lobster. We know that would be, you know, hypocritical and all and and just embarrassing to us. But there's no sense of that at all. Zero. (laughs) I mean, it's a joke. So that's why there's no way the liberal elite are going to allow him to actually get to a second term. I don't buy it. I don't. Where's the path there? You think they're all just going to sit back and say, yeah, I guess we'll just let this keep going on for six more years. Come on. In terms of a, you mean in terms of a challenge from the left? Of course they're going to challenge yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Or drive him out. Yeah. They'll challenge him or drive him out one way or the other. Do you think Kamala Harris has some change in, in mindset where all of a sudden she respects Joe Biden? You don't think she respects Biden? I think she was very clear about that. When? What do you mean? In the in, debates. In, oh, debates. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, go back to the debate. I think Kamala Harris made her opinion of Joe Biden abundantly clear, right? And probably well-deserved. So... The fact that, you know, she gets to be vice president, I know she has to swallow her pride and just kind of be quiet about it. But there's no way she's going to sit on the sidelines when she knows she could raise her own money and be a contender in 24. Why would she wait, you know, six more years and and possibly more time for him to screw it up even worse for the Democrat Party and maybe blow her chance? Same with Buttigieg. Same with all these others that will want to get in the race. I have to say, so in this conversation, it's it it seems like you're um, it seems like you're entertaining this a lot more than um, than some of your your, your recent I think a, interviews. Yeah. Is it because Trump is so obviously on the decline and becoming a, a spent force? Um, maybe I, you know, maybe it's not being picked up in, in in all the polling, but in terms of Republican opinion of him. It's been a pretty tough three weeks. You know, his, 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 his campaign hasn't gotten off to the greatest start. Is that, tell me if you think I'm wrong about that, and if I'm generally right, is that encouraging a little bit more to no, think, about, no, to no, think no. this through? No, no, no. What, what, I, what I do, what my next steps are, and what I'm about, and the message I want to deliver has absolutely nothing to do with the former president. Um, anyone who who makes their political decisions based on somebody else is clearly not in it for the right reason. So you have to be realistic about what your chances are. And if it's, if, if it's the Trump. Of, no, no. Uh, but again, I'm not uh, okay. I'm not thinking about, oh, how do I become president? Yeah, I'm thinking about how do I drive the, a better message for America, a better message for my party and get people reinvigorated and inspired and not yelled at. Everyone's just tired about 
tired, tired about being yelled at. Uh, by corporate, we're, they're being, we're being lectured by corporations, we're being lectured by politicians. I think America wants to be managed by leaders. And I think there's an opportunity to show how we do it here and hopefully inspire that next generation to step up and be part of the Republican Party, whether you're in California or Florida or Texas or New Hampshire or whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to, I have my own style. I tend to be a little more extroverted. I, I just, these are the ABCs of me. I hold nothing back. I try to be fearless because I think there's a responsibility in doing that. And I love what I do. I have fun with it. I mean, how many politicians have we seen that just look so damn grumpy? <laughs> they look so freaking miserable, right? It's like, if you're not happy, no one really... If you don't look like you're having a good time, then why should anyone believe you're going to give 120% when you wake up every day? I do love my job. And I think other people would love not just being governor, but love the opportunities and participating in government. And, and how I think we do it here in New Hampshire and how the, some of the, a lot of the success that I've had with the economy, with balancing budgets, with lowest poverty rate in the country and the best schools in the country. This is hard work. But, man, it is so fulfilling when you get it done. And it doesn't happen with big government. It doesn't happen with big government solutions. My job is not to solve your problem. I'm the governor. I'll tell you, government is not here to solve your problem. My job is to create as many doors of opportunity for you and your family and your kids and your business. And then you decide what door is best for you. You do you. Live for your die, man. It's, it's, that's what it's really about. And when you work hard to set up all that opportunity and you empower the individual to make decisions for themselves, maybe I don't agree with your decision. Maybe I don't like your policy on something. But that's about you. That's the opportunity we're creating here, and that's the stuff I think people get excited about. And that is my mission over the next year and a half, two years, as we hit this presidential wave where we're, you know, national politics will take a front and center stage here in New Hampshire. is not just here in the state, but traveling the country and getting people excited about what we can deliver. I love it. So a lot of the post-election analysis has been two big issues held back. Some uh, Republicans in places they, they might have won. Well, maybe three, but two of them are related. There's the candidate quality issue. A lot of that's related. And what does that mean, by the way? Uh, we need better quality. And I said that, too, too and, and like I mean tr- it. Too much like Trump, I yeah. think, is what most well, analysts mean kinda, when they say that, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Right? Like, I don't know if I'd classify it that way, but that's But whatever, however you want to describe that, the three thing, the things I was going to say is the candidate quality, Trump, but that's usually a way to talk about candidates he endorsed who didn't do well mm-hmm. with, uh, with, in the general election, especially with suburban voters. But the other issue, of course, is the Dobbs decision. Um, what's, you know, take either part of this, but I'm curious to see what you think in the post-election analysis, the RNC is going to do a new version of the autopsy. I don't think they're calling it that. And as you think through what the Republican Party needs to do um, in the wake of a, a disappointing election, mm-hmm. what's, the, what's the lesson on Dobbs and campaigns and, 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 and winning again? The abortion issue is real, and it's not just about whether someone is pro-life or pro-choice. First, pro-life, pro-choice, pro-life, pro-abortion. All those definitions are going to get very redefined in the next couple of years, and we can, we can talk about that. Oh, yeah, yeah I want to hear, but, yeah, I want to hear yeah, what you have to say about that. But, <clears throat> it, but on the Dobbs decision, it's also, it, it has this indirect effect. Are, are you telling me I can't do something? Are you limiting my, my individual rights and, and, and freedoms and all that sort of thing? Whether you agree yeah. to be pro-life or pro-life, it goes beyond that. And so it was the idea that we would take all this away. It was the idea that we had established precedent, but we weren't going to uh, a, a, a adhere to it. And people saw it more as a changing of the rules as much as it was about pro-life, pro-choice. Right. And they said, well, 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 you're just changing the rules now, right? And it's extremely partisan. And, and Republicans as a whole, you kept mentioning Trump, but it's really not about Trump. It's just Republicans as a whole got blamed for trying to change the rules. 
And that people deem that as not being fair and therefore being extreme, and therefore that comes to candidate quality. You had bad candidates that weren't even endorsed by Trump, but they were just bad candidates. They didn't know how to run. They didn't know how to talk to specific issues. They talked way too extreme on issues, not about Trump or not Trump, but on issues themselves during the primary, not understanding that you, you got to win in November, guys. And I'm not saying you have to change. You never have to change what you're about. Yeah. But I go into every situation. I want to talk about where I am on a position, pretending that everyone I'm talking to is an independent voting mom. OK, I'm going to that's kind of the, the, the voter you have in your mind. When that's you, it. Every when time, you, yeah. because yeah. that allows me to understand their, the empathetic connection, where they're coming from with their issue, what is important to them. It allows me to be a better listener and be open. And, and from that standpoint, I'm not that I'm trying to earn the vote, but I'm always trying to have a true empathetic ear. Too many politicians have heard the word empathy, but they don't practice it. They don't connect with people because they don't have to. They're behind an entourage, 20 security guards and a staff that, uh, of, of yes men that are afraid to actually let them integrate on the ground. We do that every day here in New Hampshire. And if you don't, you'll get killed politically. So we have an inherent DNA sense of how to get this stuff done, not because we think we're right, because we know how to listen here in New Hampshire. And we translate that into good policy. Too many folks, candidate quality, that's what I'm talking about. They didn't bring that very important quality to the table. And so they didn't have the ability to cross the finish line in November. And, and mostly Republicans got blamed for that. Is there anything else? Are there any other big takeaways from the 2022 results? There's a lot. But like man, top line that you, are we going to do yeah. like a, a, a <laughs> anything two hours? That we anything that we didn't discuss? And, <clears throat> no, yeah. I think the big takeaways are be careful of cultural. Know your audience. Yeah. There, there's one. I was going to say be careful of cultural extremes, but cultural extremes are OK depending on where you are. Right. The Dobbs issue in Mississippi is very different than the Dobbs issue in New Hampshire. Yeah. Right. We're one of the more secular states. You know, I go to church and I'm you know, I I think about I do my prayers every morning and all that stuff. And I ask God for guidance. But not everyone does. And I appreciate that. And so to come with a religious argument to make your point in New Hampshire doesn't always win the day. You know, to do it in Arkansas or another state might win the day. So know your audience. And too many of our candidates get all their information and policy decisions from national news media and national uh, politic. And they forget it's got to be about New Hampshire first, guys. The best part about my job, I'm hired by my citizens to be selfish. Not for myself, but for my state. I want to put New Hampshire first every time. I want 49 other states looking at New Hampshire and saying, you have no sales tax and income tax. How do you have a surplus? How do you manage so well? How is it that you don't have the skyrocketing overdose deaths and opioids that everyone else is having right now? How is it that you are investing in these new mental health systems, not with a burden on the taxpayer, but quality systems with massive, with very efficient government? Why are your schools? I love putting us first and going out and bragging about it every day. Best part about my job. But that's what I'm asked to do. And I think more politicians need to be selfish, not about their party, but about their constituents. And you only do that if you're engaging with them and you're listening and you know what they're all about so you can carry that forward. It's, a, it's a harder. It's a lot more work. But damn, if you don't get way better results. I just realized that New Hampshire is an, is a, is an island in a sea of Blue. marijuana legalization oh, here we go. in New England. What's, uh, uh, what's, w- do you think that's going to change? Will New Hampshire? Uh, I hope not. And will you, and will you, sign, will Look, you sign something? So here's the interesting part about marijuana Because you've moved on this a little bit, like a lot of politicians have. Well, a little bit. So here, here's the deal. I came in with a, an out-of-control opioid death crisis. We were like number two in the country you for overdose deaths. just pointed out it's gotten better, though. Oh, much better. Yeah. We're now, I mean, I think we're the only state, for two years, we were the only state where overdose deaths did not really go up. 
the only state in the country because we, I, what did I do? I didn't just change my policy. I completely redesigned my system. I blew the whole system up, created something we call the doorways. It's hub-and-spoke model. It's, it's run incredibly well, and we're getting results. We've got a long way to go, but there's no doubt our system is getting results that the rest of the country would love to have. Now, that being said, marijuana. People don't realize very few governors have ever signed a bill to legalize marijuana. It's usually referendum. It's a ballot initiative, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. So in, in most states, it's all different. It's all over the place. Yeah. It's a cash business. There's no way to deal with it impaired driving on the roads. So no, even I know it's easy to say, well, you could get all this revenue from it. Well, I got a drug crisis here. The whole country does. If you're telling me that I should put my need of revenue over the need of a lot, no, come on, let's not be silly. Uh, a, lot of st- a lot of politicians just back away from the issue because they know the realities of it. Uh, we're not there. Now, inevitably, could it come? It could. But I hope people look at our results. Why is it? I'm surrounded by states that have legalized marijuana, and every one of those states has a much higher overdose death rate in the past couple of years than we do. Right? We, we used to be number that. two. No, we're know. now like number 27 in the country. Specifically on opioid? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what all the deaths yeah. are, right? You know, fentanyl and, and, and opioids, are, it's not about overprescribing like it used to be. When I hear governors or politicians talk about overprescribing of opioids, dude, that's okay, that's, nine, that's, that's 2017, brother. Wake up. We are so far beyond that. They're putting fentanyl in marijuana. They're putting it in vape cartridges. Yeah. They are get, yeah. They're putting it in Adder, fake Adderall pills for yeah. kids. It is evil. It is cartel-driven because the border is so open. Cartels are finding ways to give kids and people fentanyl when they're not even looking for it. So do they sometimes kill people? Yes. But guess what? They also create addicts as well, and they're creating a market for themselves. We're way ahead of that game here in New Hampshire. Marijuana is part of that messaging. There's no doubt about that. If you just say, yeah, it's fine, you're, just opening a, you're really just opening a door with no constructs in place. Home grow? That, that's like a free-for-all. You know, edibles, how you manage your edibles. Look at the, this is an interesting piece of data. When Colorado legalizes marijuana yeah. and they legalize edibles, the calls to poison control in that state for children went up four times yeah. because kids were getting in it. Okay, I got a responsibility to make sure we have a system that can handle that if it were to come. So what I'm trying to do is make sure that we find all the best parts of a, of a potential legal legalization solution. And if we were going to go forward, do it that way. And I think there's some ways to do it. But, man, it is still ripe with a, a lot of problems. And I'll, I'll just go back to the drug crisis as a whole. We've made huge gains. I'm nervous about just throwing, not just throwing, not that this is the only issue, but throwing that all away uh, because someone says we could get more revenue from it. I don't need revenue. I don't want your money. I got too much of your money as is. I spend my time giving state surpluses back. That's not, that's not the issue. So, so it sounds like you're appropriately skeptical but given the right regime, if a lot of those concerns were taken care of, yes. you're open-minded. Yes, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. Because I think we know more. We're smarter about it. You know, he who invents the good piece of technology, like a breathalyzer for alcohol, yeah. what happens up with impaired driving on the roads? Police are effectively powerless to, take, to, to handle someone with impaired driving with marijuana. Yeah. It's getting it's better. There's some ideas. Yeah. There's some tests that are being tested out there. Yeah. So, okay, we're on the, I think technology can help a lot of that. But we're, we're not there yet. But we, we could be there soon, sure. You, look, I'm just trying to be super pragmatic about it. I'm not about the politics. I'm not about all that. I, I, trust me, the whole state would probably love it if I legalized it. But it isn't necessarily the right thing for the state, given the data that we have at our fingertips. Thank you for doing this. Is there anything? That's how we're ending? Oh, is God. There, no, well, is there anything? <laughs> usually I like to ask if there's anything we didn't talk about that is on your mind and you, you think um, might be 
worth uh, No, I don't think so. Look, I, I, look, I try to be an open book. These are the ABCs in me. And I, we, the most important thing, if, you, if the Republican Party wants to move forward, you've got to find affable candidates, candidates that are happy. I, I don't like using <laughs> the term happy warriors, yeah. but are excited about what they can deliver yeah. and not just, you know, angry big government culturalists that are, that are going to fight the next fight. Mike, anyone can fight a fight, but it takes a special someone to actually redesign systems and rethink out of the box and bring new ideas to the table and find a bipartisan way to deliver those results. Next question. How old is your dad now? 83. Oh, same age as my dad. Yeah, he's over in, uh, in Hampton Falls. He's on the seacoast. Do you think he wants you to run for president? <laughs> no, I don't. don't uh, you, think- you know what? My dad, like me, he loves the state. He loves how we do it. And, he, and first and foremost, my, he shares my priority. This state has to be protected, if you will. Don't, don't you think he would be proud if you ran for president? Oh, I, I, sub- I don't know. I suppose. Well, there's, there's ups and downside. I mean, running for president has a, takes a lot of toll on you or your family. Um, your no, life becomes... I mean, my life, I'm an open him, book anyway. Yeah, I'm an open book anyway, and so that stuff doesn't bother me as much. But no, there's, there's a toll to be paid. And, and I think my dad would say, if you're going to do it, make sure it's right for your family. Make sure it's right for you. You know, that has to what, what, and do it for the right reasons. And I think if we, if we got to that point with all, if, if anyone gets to that point, then, then they can take the right steps. But too many, too many people run for president because they think it's their next thing or they want to sell a stupid book. And by the way, all your books stink. I was about to say, you have a book coming out. <laughs> no, yeah, maybe I should write a book. But, but no, I mean, God, politi- uh, books from politicians are the worst pieces of dry some self. Of them are, some of them aren't bad. Some, uh, Dan oh, Quayle's memoir, speaking of Dan Quayle, uh, his White House years was actually pretty good. Hey, Dan's was ran, pretty good. To, to, Let me to think know. of another good one. He was one. actually pretty dishy. I thought your, George, dad's, your yeah. dad's book about George H.W. About George H.W. Was, yeah, no, I think very good. books about others can yeah. be good. But when politicians write books about themselves, two things are going on. No, Number one, either um, you should probably do your job instead of yeah. worrying about writing a book, yeah. or... Um, or you're not doing your job, or, or you just let someone else write the book for you, yeah. and then it's all phony anyway. So either way, I kind of have a problem with both of them. They're not very good. You're absolutely right. <laughs> what is, your wife's name is Valerie? Yes. And Valerie. What, what does she think about this? Uh, about being governor? She loves it. Uh, look, she what loves she what I do. What does she about the, perhaps taking the next step? Well, I'll say, that, look, Val, my wife is uh, in, insanely cool. Yeah. Uh, way, I mean, I, I, someone told me she's, I hit know, above my grade. Someone told me exactly that. She's very, they were speaking so highly of her yeah. and, and said, you should really ask the governor about that because I, she know, is the, one of the coolest I, I chicks she's you can, probably not that interested in, uh, she's not interested in a presidential in, campaign. Well, she's look, she, I think she sees the results we've delivered for New Hampshire and she's proud. There's no yeah. doubt. And she gets that I can do it and do it right and be home for dinner and the whole thing. And we haven't really talked about another step or anything because our focus is New Hampshire right now, or in mine is, and she's just super cool. I, I mean, she's, my household, you will not find a first lady cooler than my wife. And 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 it's like I go home every day. I'm like, oh, holy crap, this is awesome. What, like, about, what yeah. about your kids? I mean, they must see all this speculation oh, yeah. and hear you hear you guys talking about it at home. And well, we don't talk about they, running for president at home. That that conversation has never happened, to be very clear. But um, but no, or at my, least you must yeah. talk about the fact that a lot of other people are. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah, you know yeah. a little bit. But look, we don't watch the news. In our house, yeah. it's so negative. What's the point, right? So I got two kids I in high school, that, and I, I no, oh no, I don't even have cable TV. I was like, I was the first to cut the cord years. Ago. I haven't <laughs> had cable TV in years. It's so negative. It is. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I have my little um, apps on my phone. I have CNN. I have Fox. Uh, I have the uh, WMUR locally. I've you know, 
And that's how I, I just kind of check the headlines. But, uh, but no, with my kids, I get two in high school and I got a fourth grader. And, you know, my high schoolers are, are older. They're going to take a next step to college. So they're kind of independent. Or, you know, on the, they are independent. They'll be independent. And my little guy, you know, I got to take him to basketball practice tomorrow and all that. So we try to keep family as normal as possible but, um, and focus on New Hampshire. And that's where the focus is now. Is there someone in the, in the, in the immediate family that's the, that's the sort of uh, gung-ho, more gung-ho about it than others? No, we're, I, don't, I don't mean I'll, to like bring your. No, I'm just I, I don't curious. Mean to like, I think those dynamics are always so interesting. No, I think everybody knows that if that opportunity were to present itself, yeah. it'll present itself. Yeah. But it's nothing we plan and strategize. I mean, some you, some you first gotta, ladies and some families, that's all they think about. How do we get there? What's the next step? What's our plan? Give me a break. Why don't you do your job and, and worry about family and all that kind of stuff? And uh, you got your priorities screwed up if you're thinking about that. And by the way, it's still 2022. I know everyone thinks that, oh, it's got to be, everyone has to jump in the race. Most of these candidates, the weaker candidates will jump in early. Um, stronger candidates will what? formally announce later. Why is that? Well, because, you know, a lot of these folks have these 501c4 advocacy groups, right? People have asked me to set one up, not to run for president, but just to, to help promote the message and right. what we're about and what Republicans can do. Right. And so those groups can take, uh, frankly, just bigger amounts of money. And it's, you can still be out there. With groups like that, when you say I'm going to be a candidate, that. all the rules change. Right. Uh, and it, it's less helpful, if you will. So my sense is people are going to wait, which they should. You know, we're just getting through this election. The dust hasn't settled. Anyone jumping in the race right now is just all about jumping in the race, trying to get some name ID. And I don't know if they're going to go anywhere, frankly. I think more of the serious candidates will formally jump in. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I, whether it's DeSantis or Nikki Haley or whoever it might be. Um, I think you'll see them really jumping Wait, in Nikki, I thought she had said she wouldn't run if Trump runs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Look, I like Nikki a lot, and I know she said that a while ago, but clearly she's looking at running. I mean, that much is very obvious, so right? she reversed herself on that. Oh, I think everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think Nikki's great. I think she's, I think uh, Governor Haley, Ambassador Haley. Do you think that uh, makes her look bad to have reversed herself on something like a um, promise like I that? I think it leaves a lot of questions in folks' mind, but look, I, I think she has a great resume. I think she's a great person. I, I really, I really, there's very few folks running that I, I would have anything bad to say about right now, publicly, loudly, to you. <laughs> um, Did you, uh... Did you see, but, uh, you must know Asa Hutchinson a little bit. Asa is one of my better friends. So I don't know. I know him t- very well. So I don't know if he, you guys talked about this, but he did the winter gridiron. Yep. Uh, and that's a much smaller dinner. Much not, smaller not the group, big yeah. one like you did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he had a joke, though. He, he, I don't know if you saw it. He said something like, if uh, DeSantis and Trump run in the same primary, it'd be historic. So it'd be the first time a father and son are running against <laughs> each other. There you go. It's a good, it's a good <laughs> joke because it, uh, it kind of hits home. It kind of hits the truth a little bit, right? I mean, you know, they're obviously very similar individuals. Um, uh, I mean, I go back to like DeSantis' commercial when he was running for governor where he's like teaching his kids about Trump and all the, the whole thing. It's like a one zealot. But, you think there's a little mini-me quality to him? Uh, I, I don't know if I'd use the word mini-me, um, but yeah, look, they, they, they're, you know, they're cut from the same cloth. There's no doubt about it, you know, and I'm not critiquing and judging on that but obviously but that I, can't I don't, be good right now i mean is that like, i don't know I, they, I mean they have they have, they have to find their paths but yeah. i'll say look asa was a great governor governor yeah. of, of arkansas i think larry hogan's likely going to run uh, from maryland very different obviously he's extremely extremely anti-trump i think pence gets in the race obviously yeah. which is a hard thing i think look i think mike pence is a great man do you know him well very well really i do uh, he was one of the first governors to encourage me to run for governor. He was governor of Indiana at the time. In fact, when he called me in August of, uh, of 16, I was first running for governor. And he said, hey, I'm supposed, he was supposed to do a fundraiser for me. He's like, I'm really sorry. I cannot do the fundraiser next month. 
like, oh, governor, okay, I mean, I, okay, what, what's up? And he's like, I can't really go into it, but I just, I'm not going to be able to do it. I said, okay. And like three days later, he was announced as vice president. But he's a great man. Wow, you, had, he, you literally, you had the scoop. Oh, yeah, you know, I got, well, I didn't know. He didn't tell me he was, he was being nominated, but I was like, geez, something's wrong. Maybe he's sick. I didn't know. Um, so, you know, the challenge really uh, for him, you know, he's a great guy. He, he believes at his core and good service. I mean, he, he doesn't get nearly enough credit. He was the best thing that that administration had in terms of managing COVID, uh, working with the governors directly and allowing and empowering governors. The rest of the administration was a complete mess. We had the Fauci and Burks and Trump. Just It was just a, a circus show, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but he really got it, and, and, and he was great. You know, Tim Scott is a senator, great guy. I just, uh, Tim, he's a senator. I'm just going to leave it there. You, you got to have some executive experience behind you. Um, and I, 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 he, he's a great guy, but I don't Chris know if Christie? he can deliver. I don't think Chris is going to run. I'm, I might be wrong. He sound, I mean, he sounds like it. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, he's selling books and all that stuff. I think Chris is a, is, is a, is a really great guy. He's another very, I consider yeah. him a very good friend. I think he's a very good guy. He's past his time? Yeah, kind of like him and Cruz and, you know, Rubio and uh, Rand Paul and all that. I, I just, I kind of think they, they had their shot, but they might run again. I'm not saying they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that at all. But I think... You know, Chris, I'll say this about Chris Christie. He ran really hard, and he was in New Hampshire like 100 days, and he still yeah. didn't do great. And so, you know, I think it's hard from uh, with new, the New Jersey thing and a few other things. It, it makes it hard for him to take another step. But he could. I'm not saying don't, but I'm just saying I think he knows his boundaries, too. He's a great voice for the Republican Party. He's very pragmatic. Do you think a lot of these guys are tainted by their Trump association? Of course. No, without a doubt. Look, that that's and, and, that, and that's kind of the trouble that's with, the with Pence, right? Yeah. He's kind of very anti-painted as very being very anti-Trump now, but he's also part of the Trump administration. And so I, I, I be, I'm very curious because he's a smart guy, how he paints his path to victory, right? And he could. I, I'm not, not saying easy. no. It's not easy. On he's the one just, hand, Trump tried to kill him. On the other hand, he well, was a loyal soldier for four years. He, and boy, I mean, he, he really was. He really was. And, and he, he had to do and say some things that um, he just, he knew the role of being a vice president. God bless him. He really, and the responsibility, and he carried it so well. So as a, as a person, as an in individual. Terms of not sh- in terms of loyalty. Both in terms of loyalty, but loyalty to the president, but, but also the, that was always second to loyalty to this country and constitution, which he, I, I he proved, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. what you want yeah. in a vice yeah. president. You yeah. know, that, that's actually, but whether that gets rewarded with a, a presidential nomination, I don't know. There's a long way to go. After. Everyone has a long way to go because there is a long way to go. We're 18 months out from the first in the nation primary. No, we're 18 months out from the debates leading into the first in the nation primary, guys. We, so, could, be, we could be 18 months out from the first yeah, in the yeah, nation right. primary. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Depending on oh, yeah, how that it, shakes out. So we're a year out, right? So I apologize. We're a year out from the first in the nation primary yeah. debate. So we just got to have a long way to go. The whole world can go upside down with some of these candidates. You never know what's going to come up. So I think there's a lot on the table, and I think there could still be names that people aren't thinking about that get in the race and surprise everyone. There could be names that are might seem eminently obvious that end up saying this just isn't for me you think DeS- some people compare DeSantis to uh, Walker and I'll, I'll you just give us the hook when we gotta go no 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 <laughs> I, I, I'm looking I'm looking at my team being like how badly have I screwed this up so far you're talking to a governor that doesn't write speeches oh you, do? oh, you never yeah. do you know my first inaugural speech was written on the back of a piece of paper I just had like bullet points it drove my team crazy. And it probably wasn't the greatest speech in the world, but I just, I shoot from the hip. And I, these, I have to be yeah. genuine. And I'm a more of a conversational guy, not a speech guy. But I'm sorry, I interrupted your question. No, I was just, just getting into some of these other potential 2024 folks. I mean, there's a lot of hype about DeSantis that's both yeah. good and bad. I remember Scott Walker when he was absolutely going to be the, the Republican nominee in 2016. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, he never made it to Iowa. That's right. You think 
um, some people, the skeptics of DeSantis will argue, oh, yeah, that's, that's the path he's on. You know, the bigger, the higher they fly early, this early. The, the, the I will just say there's, um, you got to earn it at the end of the day. There's a lot of hype and a lot of headlines and all that. But, and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not um, hitting on him. I'm just saying the reality of anyone in that situation is um, he who leads first doesn't always lead last. And so he's going to have to really do a, a ground game, which you don't really see much of him right now, right? He's a governor of a big state. He's very rarely actually on the ground. He comes in, he does his speeches, he moves on, which is fine for him now. That's, that's fine. Not as much contact with... Yeah, but um, it doesn't mean he can't and he won't, but I'm just saying there's a lot of time. And so he's going to have to earn it in Iowa and in New Hampshire and in South Carolina. You, you can't get away with not earning it. You just can't. And so uh, this isn't a critique of him, but all the candidates, that's the message. And I'm kind of the referee. In New Hampshire. I am. I, this is how we do it. If you think you're going to come in here and drop a whole bunch of money with a lot of name ID, go talk to Jeb Bush. And I love Jeb Bush. I think that guy's an incredible governor and could have been an incredible president. Did you know him, growing? I mean, the Bushes and the Sunni um, knew each other pretty well, I assume, but different Jeb, generation, at the right? time, yeah, different generation. Yeah. Not, I didn't know him and, and George yeah. W. Uh, at the time very well. Um, all my connection was with Barbara and George H.W. So, yeah. um, and they were just incredible individuals and a great family. But no, and Jeb was a great governor, but man, there's a guy that came in and spent a whole bunch of money with a whole bunch of name ID and just couldn't get there ultimately. Same with Scott Walker. And his, he, he faltered in Iowa. He had a, I love Scott, by the way. He's a, yeah. I consider Scott a great friend. I think he would have been a great president. He put together a terrible campaign. And his, his team was just horrible, um, unfortunately. And, and they just they wasted his money. They, I think, gave him bad advice. And I think he, he was, he's a much, much better candidate and governor and executive than his team let him be, unfortunately. So there's a lot of factors. If, if someone puts together a bad team, it ain't going to go well. If someone doesn't understand how to attack these states in the right way, it's not going to go well. And there's a lot of time where it can go badly. Expectations have been set high for Trump and DeSantis and some of these folks at the top. If you don't want to drop precipitously, you have to consistently meet those expectations. And when you don't, the vultures will be there, so to say, and, and you're going to have trouble. But it doesn't mean they can't. Got to earn it, though. That's what politics is. It's have a lot of fun. Thank you for doing this. Anytime, this man. Excellent. This is great. I hope this was some good material. Great material. All right. And that's our show. Our producers are Kara Tabor and Afra Abdullah. Special thanks to Patrick McNamiking, who recorded our interview and even gave me a ride to the Manchester airport. I'm Ryan Lizza, host and executive producer of Deep Dive. Brooke Hayes is the senior editor of Audio at Politico. Jenny Ament is the executive producer and head of Audio at Politico. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.